Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's a wonderful, we had a great first service and um, visitors, thank you for being here. I got to meet some of you this morning and it is an honor. Join us next Sunday. We celebrate the birth of our Savior with our church family, uh, of course, all day, but next Sunday evening at 5, we will be um, having our Christmas sing. This is something we've done now every year. It's an annual thing, but you'll enjoy it if you love Christmas carols and uh, cantata and uh, good uh, singing from uh, different uh, forms of singing as far as uh, duets and solos and choirs and ensembles. And uh, even instrumentals will be doing some things. And kids' choir will be singing next week. And so we're looking forward to what God has in store for us. And I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, I love the Christmas season. I do. I love preaching uh, in the Christmas sense. I don't, you know, y'all know that I'm a uh, verse-by-verse preacher. And I'm an expositor as far as the, the choice and style of preaching. So when we come to uh, Christmas time, I know what our people want. I know people get in that Christmas mode and they like a Christmas message. And I think, I'll be honest with you, I agree. I don't think there's any um, story in the Bible that is more beautiful, maybe outside of the, the death and, and burial and resurrection of our Savior, than the birth of our Savior, His first coming. And uh, only in two books of the Bible do we really get a picture of what that looks like. Luke chapter 2 and also in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. But only in Matthew chapter 2 do we really see a reference to what I'm going to preach this morning. And it's the star in which led the wise men to uh, the Christ child. Now I think, honestly, I think babies, uh, the birth of children is a miraculous event. And I love it anytime our people are blessed with uh, a new child. 19 months ago, my wife and I were blessed with a, a brand new baby boy, 19 months. He has been a life changer. Uh, he is the son of my old years, right? Um, I've got a senior in high school, a junior in high school, a 10-year-old, uh, which is a fifth grader, and a brand new baby boy. He's not what I would call brand new anymore. He's 19 months, but he we're, we're just savoring the time we have as far as time is fleeting. Uh, he's walking now, so he walked into church this morning uh, versus carrying that brick, right? I mean, it's like a cinder block. Uh, so we're thankful for the day that he took steps because my back was telling me uh, it was time, and I think he was lazy for a little bit and enjoying being carried around. But uh, we we took video footage of him. We as parents do, you take the videos, you take the pictures, and then here's what we do: we go back in our phone about three months later, and we watch the videos, and we're like, we're sad. You know, there's like, where's this baby that we had? He's no longer a baby. He's now uh, a little boy. And um, and so, you know, this is our last one. I said that uh, with Colby uh, 10 years ago. And then, of course, God has a sense of humor and a uh, divine purpose. And he gave us uh, a, another boy. Uh, and we're very, very thankful for that. Uh, when I walked in, I've told you all the story, but for those of you uh, visitors that are here, or maybe you've never heard the story, we were, I was out of town for uh, something. I can't remember really why I was out of town, but I was out of town either preaching somewhere or doing something, and I walked in the house. Uh, it was like in early October, sometime of the year, uh, 2021, and I walked inside the house, and uh, Rebecca, she you know, sometimes it's, hey, how you doing, man? I'm glad you're home, you know, kind of that. Uh, and then, um, we'll, you know, throw the bags down and we're ready. You know, we're, we're, we're off to the races where we're you know, doing something or I'm coming to the office or doing some things around the house that needs to be done. Well, uh, this time she had this cheesy grin on her face like she knew something that I did not know and she just kept acting really strange about it. And so uh, I was... Uh, after a while, I was trying to figure out what is it. I was looking around the house like, is there something different? Did she move something? Did she paint something? Did she uh, hide something from me? Couldn't figure it out. So finally, I, I went to her and I said, honey, uh, you know, what is it that you are, why are you acting so weird? You're just acting strange. Like had this really, you know, kind of weird sense of humor going on there. And so um, she pulled out a test and uh, she said, look, and I went like that. Well, I hadn't seen a pregnancy test in 10 years. And I thought it was a COVID test. So I jumped back. 
I was like, you got COVID? That's weird. Why are you happy about this? And so uh, then it dawned on me, that ain't a COVID test. That's a pregnancy test. And it had, I think, two lines on it. And so I didn't, you know, know all the lines and all the different things. So uh, we, we, uh, got the, we got the uh, results there. And then I, I didn't believe them at first. I said, oh, that thing can be wrong. And she pulled out another one. She got a two-pack. And so uh, after that, we, um, we uh, you know, just prepared. And, and of course, uh, I remember the day that uh, we had Ridge, and I've got, the, I've got pictures of my wife holding Ridge in the bed, and just, just amazing what the Lord uh, had done and, and what he's doing. And, and, you know, there's no birth, though. Church, listen, there's no birth like the birth of our Savior. Now, to me, birth is amazing, how God designed it, uh, all that uh, entails in it, how beautiful it is, and how any time our, our uh, church family has uh, been blessed with a child, I'm always thankful for that. But going back several thousand years uh, to the birth of our Savior, it's always an amazing thing to think there's been no baby born like this babe, the babe of Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, and look with me in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when they had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where, they, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach for a few minutes on the Christmas star. Lord, we understand that this is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, not anywhere else in the Gospels, but other than Matthew chapter 2. But Lord, it's important because it's in God's Word and it's important because it led men to where you are. And may we examine this beautiful star. For we ask these things now in Jesus' name, all God's people said. The purpose of this star that I just read about in Matthew chapter 2 was to authenticate and to publicize the incarnation, and to draw men, especially the wise men, to the Christ child. Uh, various speculations about the star's appearance and searches for uh, the mechanistic uh, explanation violates the very purpose of the gospel narrative. I, I cannot explain to you exactly what this star looked like. The Bible does not tell us what the star looked like. Uh, the Bible does not tell you even about what this star, uh, how it came to be. I, I believe it was a, a miraculous thing from God. I do not believe that it was uh, the planets aligning and shaping and, and, uh, and then uh, a, a star-like figure. I believe this was a star that was sent from God or designed by God to lead men for several years across from the east to Jerusalem to Bethlehem, right outside, six miles outside of Jerusalem, to a place called Bethlehem. Now, if you have a nativity scene at your house, many of you probably do, either uh, inside your house, or you got a picture of it, or you have maybe outside. I've seen some beautiful nativity scenes outside that are displayed. If you have a nativity scene at your house, more than likely you have a picture of wise men right there with Jesus. 
I mean, let me, I don't want to burst your bubble a little bit, but you understand that is not biblically correct. Now, it's beautiful, and I'm for it, and anything that lifts up the name of Jesus, say, don't, don't go home and kick it across the yard, and don't go home and burn it with your flamethrower, and, and don't, uh, uh, don't uh, go home and, and take it off the counter and throw it in the trash. No, leave it up because the Lord Jesus is there, and, and I get what you're meaning, whether they were there, there at the time or there two years later. Uh, really, that doesn't matter, though in Scripture we can, we can tell you that it does matter in the sense that the wise men did come when the Christ child was was a babe and he was about two years old or so but but we understand what that nativity scene paints it's kind of like the the song that everybody sings around this time of the year called Mary did you know can I just answer that for you she did know right the angels told her and uh, I, I get it it's a beautiful song and I'm not anti that song I think it's a beautiful song I don't know if she fathomed everything that Jesus was in a sinful mind there's no way we can comprehend everything that Jesus was but I do know this the angels came to Mary and they told her what she was about to conceive and and even came to Joseph and told Joseph that uh, he was going to be uh, the father if you will the earthly father of the Christ child and that Mary was conceived of the Holy Ghost and so he, he understood what was going on. But going back to the nativity, these wise men are journeying from the east. They're coming from a long way. I mean, miles and miles and miles of journeying to where Jesus was. And they were guided by a star. Now, today in our society, we have what we call a global positioning satellite. A GPS. So if you got your phone, if you have any updated what they call smartphone, you can actually punch in an address on an, on an app and you can actually be guided from where you are to where you are going. It will typically give you three or four different ways you can go and it will give you the fastest time. It will give you the straightest time. Some of them will. It'll give you the long way around, but maybe the, the, the uh, more less turns or whatever. They'll give you three or four, and they'll even give you, factoring in the traffic, how long it will take you. Is that not amazing? The wise men didn't have that. The only thing the wise men could go by is one verse in the Old Testament. If you would turn with me to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. There is an Old Testament prophet, he was a backslidden prophet, but his name was Balaam. Balaam was really not worthy to even have this vision, but it goes to show us that grace is real and that God allowed this backslidden prophet Balaam to even have a vision so wonderful, just like he would use you and I, amen, and do, do wonderful things through us. But notice in, in Numbers chapter 24, in verse number 15, the Bible says, and he took up his parable his story, and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, so this is a big announcement, verse 16, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, so he's having a vision, but having his eyes open. Now here's what he saw in verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star. Now here it is, capital S. This is not just a little star. This is not just a star in the heavens. This is a star, a capital S, out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So this is a star that is out of Jacob. Now this is a fourth or a foreshadowing or a foretelling of a coming Messiah, a star. I love the language that this Old Testament writer writes in the book of Numbers about a star that would come out of 
Jacob. This is talking about the Messiah. Well, only thing really that the uh, the uh, Hebrew or the rather the wise men could have went by is something like this: a passage of scripture in the book of Numbers. They could have also went by maybe Micah chapter five. They could have known that out of Bethlehem uh, would come the Messiah, the King, and so they could have went by a couple other things. Maybe Isaiah talking about the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of peace, but but really, would they have known about Bethlehem, would they have known about a star, if it weren't for a few passages that was mentioned in the Old Testament? I want to just preach for a few minutes about this Christmas star. Three things, very quickly. First of all, it was a guiding star. It was a guiding star. As I said, it was an old-fashioned GPS Satellite positioning. God was saying, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you from uh, where you are in the east of Orient, whether it be Mesopotamia, whether it be Chaldea, where it be uh, some other places over there. And I'm going to guide you from this place all the way to this little town of Bethlehem. I want you to look in verse number two of Matthew chapter two. It says, saying, Where is he that is born of the king of the Jews? For we have seen... Now, this is what makes me think that this is not just some star. This is his star. Look at it. We have seen his star. Whose star? This is God's star. This is the Messiah's star. In the east, and we are come to worship him. So these wise men, these magi, would have never been able to find the Christ child and would have never known this young King Jesus if it weren't for the star. Have you ever sat down in your Bible and you've maybe studied about where these these magi would have come from, the journey it would have taken from them to come from uh, point A to point B and follow this star? These ancient pilgrims had to travel a long way. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention about this guiding star is it was a long, vast distance. It was a long, vast distance. Look at verse number 1 of Matthew 2. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Had they not been guided by this providential star, they might have never attempted this lengthy journey applied into the phrase from the east to Jerusalem. But they were drawn and irresistibly to come and worship the young King Jesus in no distance, no matter what it was, how vast or how short could deter them at all. Why? There was a star. Hey, what a challenge this is to us today as we are here this morning. Uh, the weather has not been the most favorable this morning. Uh, the weather is a little bit, uh, uh, of course, wet and rainy and dreary. And, and you know what, though? What's sad is a lot of times people will let the weather dictate uh, what they do in following Jesus. Now, I realize icy conditions and, and treacherous uh, road traffic Certainly, we don't want people out on the roads if there's ever a, a icy road condition, which is very rare here, but it does happen. And we as a church take knowledge of that, and, and I don't want my family in that, and if it's going to jeopardize them. But you understand, most of the time, I would say 51 weeks out of 52 weeks a year, sometimes all of 52 weeks of the year, uh, we never have restricted road travel yet. Here we are, some will look out the window on Sunday morning and they'll see little raindrops from the heavens and they'll stick their hand out and one will hit them on the hand and they'll go back to bed. They'll say, I'm not getting out in this miserable weather. I'll watch it on live stream. Now, I'm not joking and and picking on the live stream attenders because we have some that are sick, we have some that work, we have some that just cannot come. And I understand that. But let me tell you, we are so spoiled in America Because we let things hinder us from coming and worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I have a missionary friend who was holding a a crusade in another country, and I believe it was the Philippines, and he was inviting them villages to come, and 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 uh, they were going to preach the gospel, and they were going to uh, they were going to preach the gospel and see people saved, and it was just going to be this huge evangelistic campaign. Well, a couple days before. 
before the campaign, a, uh, I believe it's a typhoon that come through there, a very bad storm had coming through, and a lot of rain had come. There was some flooding. And so he and his team, uh, this missionary team, said, we're going to call off this evangelistic crusade. People are not going to come. The, it's, it's pretty treacherous out. And, and so they were there at the place, and they're just kind of hunkered down watching. And about the day of of the, 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 uh, the evangelistic crusade, he said all of a sudden people just started coming in this amphitheater. He said people started walking in. There was a little jeepneys that would, that would drop people off and there'd be a dozen people get off this like makeshift bus looking thing. And he said people were just coming. He said before you know it, we had hundreds and hundreds of people standing in the rain wanting to hear the message of the gospel, wanting to hear the truth of God's word. He said it challenged me. It brought me to tears because I I know that in our nation, the United States, hey, we are just not that hungry for the word of God. If we have something like that, if we have bad weather, people's like, I'm not going out in that. And you know what? As leaders, we'll probably say, you know what? We're not going to do it. It was an outdoor event. We're not going to do it. But listen, those people over there very seldom get the preaching of God's word in their village. And they very seldom where the light is shown in their nation of the gospel. Very seldom do they get that. And when someone shows them the love of Christ, it is contagious. What is it that's keeping us from Christ. What is it that's hindering us? What is it that holds us back to or from the Lord Jesus Christ? I I see, uh, firstly, there is a vast difference, but secondly, there's very dangers. These men are traveling across the desert. What What do you encounter? We're talking about for two years. What would you encounter? You would encounter thieves, In those days, there would have been thieves that would have been ambushing caravans and robbing them and possibly killing them. They would have encountered treacherous weather and uh, they would have encountered unchartered territory that they would have walked through and maybe no man had ever crossed that. Yet they're crossing it following this star of Bethlehem. I think about it in similar ways. God has given us a star, a Christmas star, which is in fact Christmas Day. I love Christmas Day. I love that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. I know if we get real technical about it, some people's like, well, but Jesus wasn't born in December. He was born. But I'm glad that we celebrate his birth. Whatever day it was chosen years ago, I'm just glad it's cold and I'm glad it seems Christmas doesn't seem right in June, right? It wouldn't seem right in May. It wouldn't seem right in July. It's right where it needs to be. And you know what, what? No matter what day we celebrate the Lord Jesus, here it is. It brings us to a day in which we know that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth in the form of a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And why did he come? Did he come because he didn't have nothing else to do? No, he came for you and me. He came to die. What would Christmas Day cause us to do in our hearts? It causes us to want to seek Him more. Sadly, Sundays pass without a thought about God. In a society, a lot of folks never even think about God. You know what they'll be? They'll be Christmas parties that take place this year and not even a mention of Jesus Christ. There'll be things that happen and they'll talk about this and they'll talk about that and they'll discuss this, but they never seek the true meaning of Christmas. It's like what the angel said in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Will you do what the wise men did in this passage of Scripture? Will you follow this guiding star that is following the meaning of Christmas until it leads you to the Savior? You know what I find interesting? I find it interesting when an atheist celebrates Christmas. They don't even know it half the time, but they're celebrating a day, whether Santa's involved or not, whether elves are involved or not. They're still celebrating in an indirect way A holiday set aside for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But yet, oh, we don't believe in him. Well, you're celebrating something that does. Amen. But what's sad is, is when Christians neglect the Christ of Christmas. So we see there's very dangers that they journey. There's different dangers. There's vast differences in this guiding star. But secondly, I want you to notice it's a a guarding star, not a guiding star, a guarding star. 
Look with me in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 2. In verse 9, the Bible says, When they had heard the king, this is Herod. Herod was greatly troubled. He wanted to kill this king. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, there it is again, which they had saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, the fact is, Herod was like so many people today, are there? He was ignoring what the Scriptures had said about the Messiahship of this promise that would come. He thought it was a threat. Herod actually thought that there was a threat. This this king would be born, a king of the Jews. Now, uh, the Jews at this time was kind of the off-scour society. They were looked at as a nuisance. So why would this Herod be a, be, be threatened by a little baby, a Jewish baby at that? Uh, it, it was because of the kingship. He he knew that that this was a threat, and he did not pay attention to the Scriptures, like many people today. Instead of being influenced by what Herod said, these wise men in their minds and their hearts, they guarded it and they reached the place where the young child was, according to verse number 9. Now, a lot of people would have been uh, afraid at the threat of Herod, right? If a king said, hey, I want you to lead me to that that, that little baby. I want to worship him too. Then, Then many people would have said, man, I know Herod. He's a wicked king, and Herod was. He was a wicked man. Matter of fact, he was so uh, in hatred of Jesus that they murdered every male boy that was born in that area just because they wanted to kill Jesus. You understand, Herod was a wicked man. He was very wicked, but yet that did not sway the hearts of these wise men. I want to give you uh, something about the guarding star. The first thing is this, it was verified the promise of Scripture. It verified the promise of Scripture. Uh, The Bible tells us that in Micah said that a governor that shall rule by people... Uh, or my people in Israel. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, Matthew chapter t- uh, 2 verse 6, God still has his guarding star that is a Christmas day. People can say that the Bible's not true, but, but what about Christmas? What about Christmas? People will deny the Bible's truth, but yet they'll see Christmas. Here's what Christmas does in the Word of God as far as the, the day that Jesus was born. Christmas is the fulfillment of at least 333 prophecies regarding the death of Christ, the birth of Christ, His resurrection. 333 prophecies. We find both in the Old Testament, we find both in the New Testament, all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, uh, John chapter 5, even even Paul in the New Testament, when he was writing to a young Timothy, the apostle Paul reminded him of this. He said uh, that from a child thou had known the holy scriptures, which were able to make him wise unto salvation through faith, which is Christ Jesus. I believe that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 15. So uh, we know that this was given as a guarding star, guarding what had been put into the hearts of these wise men. But secondly, it signified the presence of the Savior. Matthew chapter 2, this story tells us in verse 9, which they saw in the east, verse 9, till it came and stood over where the young child was. So whatever Herod, the king, was doing, or maybe his chief priest or scribes, whatever they had to say about the birth of Christ did not alter the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, had already come. Jesus came, nobody was going to stop him, no king was going to stop him, no priest was going to stop him, nobody stopped Jesus coming. Why? You can't stop Jesus, right? You can't stop God. So Christ, according to verse number 9, was already there. Now, I'll say this, that men and women today try to tell us that Jesus is not alive. But we ask once again, what about Christmas? What about Christmas? The very fact that we are celebrating Christmas signifies that Jesus was born to be your Savior and Jesus was born to be my Savior. That's the whole reason. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that guides us. See, uh, they had a GPS. They had a 
a star, a magnificent star to guide them. But what do we have today? We don't have the star to guide us. What do we have? We have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm going to read you this scripture. I've already preached through this uh, uh, months ago. But in John chapter 16, Jesus said, How be it, in verse 13, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you. He will guide you. Can I ask you this question this morning? Are you guided by the Spirit? See, we don't have a star today. God doesn't use that. That was for a time. That was that one time. It's not even mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. If you go out here today and you say, Preacher, I was led here by a star. I don't know if I believe you or not. Now, that'd be pretty awesome, and I'm not going to, you know, I'd say, well, I, led, I was led to Bible Baptist Church by a star. I started out in Alabama. I'm just not going to believe you. And then you wouldn't believe me if I said, folks, I, I came here from California. don't know what, it, but I saw a star up in the sky, and it just led me right to Simpsonville. I'm, you know, that's a far-fetched story, but here's the deal. We, as Christians, have the Spirit of God every day. Every day, listen, the Spirit of God will lead you. Here's what, often we don't listen to the Spirit because we have not yielded to the Spirit. We just do our own thing. Can you imagine the wise men, God had His star up in the, uh, they were journeying from the east, going to Jerusalem, so they're journeying that way. And the wise men being wise men, astrologer studies of the heavens. Can you imagine those guys looking up into the heavens and saying, ah, it looks like something we've never seen before. Man, that's pretty magnificent, but we're going to do our own thing. Let me just say this, those wise men would have never made it in the Scripture. Or if they did make it in the Scripture, we would be saying they were not so wise. Amen? What's wise about the wise men is they followed what God wanted them to follow. So are you wise? He's given us His Spirit. We can't, be, we can't lead our families in these days without the leading of the Spirit of God. Amen? We can't be good husbands and good wives without being led by the Spirit. We can't be good leaders in the church without being led by the Spirit of God. Hey, we cannot be just good Christians without being led by the Spirit of God. And my friend, let me tell you, we have the Spirit of God to lead us, but number two, we have the Holy Scriptures to lead us. What did, what did Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16? He said this, he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Friend, we have a book that covers everything we need it to cover. Amen? We have the Scriptures can I ask you this? We're led by the Spirit, but we're led by the Holy Scriptures. We have the road map. Y'all remember maps? Y'all remember road maps? I'm telling, you know, on our age a little bit, these young from college and down, they don't know what it's like to pull out a, was it McNally's? Yeah. Atlas, maps, whatever, and you'd say, well, here's where we are. MapQuest, remember we downloaded MapQuest? Printing them out. And we would down and look and say, well, here's, here's where we are and we need to get over here. Listen, that, that's where, that's where, but here's, here's our road map. Here it is. The old fashioned road map. And it tells you from Genesis to Revelation on how to live your life. Amen. Hey, I'm not about, uh, I'm not against you reading books on how to be a better person, how to be a better dad, a better mother, a better husband or wife. Them are all good. And listen, there's people that are very gifted in writing. I, I love to read. But can I tell you something? There's no book ever been written like this book. You want to be a good church member. You want to be a good Christian. You want to be a good citizen. Read the roadmap. Read the roadmap. We've been guided it is a guiding star. It's a guarding star. But second, thirdly, it's a gladdening star. A gladdening star. No, notice with me in verse number 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So up until the star had been moving, guiding, guarding, but now suddenly it stands over where the Christ child was. Now get in your mind just a minute. These wise men have been following this star for several years from, from the east. 
Now, instead of it moving and guiding wherever they went, this star was guiding so that it just, it controlled them wherever they needed to go. It was guiding them. They'd see it. But now this star, in in my mind, this star is hovering over Bethlehem. But hold on a second, not just over Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a huge place, but Bethlehem was a big enough town that if you didn't know where Jesus was born, you're going to have to go door to door. Bethlehem was, was this little place, but this star is hovering over this little town of Bethlehem, and it's hovering over the place where Jesus was. It took them directly to the Christ child. That's what the Bible says. And then it says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I want to give you this, the gladness of finding Christ. The gladness in finding Christ. Look what happens in verse 11, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Any doubt or any fear to whether Jesus was a real person or a real king or even a real savior vanished immediately and joy and gladness filled their hearts. Without any delay, without any hesitation, these wise men come into the house and the Bible says they fell down and they worshipped Immediately they worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, the Bible says they presented him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, men much smarter than myself has given us what some of these maybe meant concerning the meaning of these gifts. Generally it's agreed, however, that these men's gifts were intended to symbolize that which they recognize in the being and the nature of the King Jesus that they worshipped. The gold that was brought by the wise men was a recognition of His sovereignty. The myrrh that was given, or the frankincense rather, that was given was His recognition of His deity. And then the myrrh, which was a recognition of his humanity. Myrrh would have been something that would have been involved in the embalming practice of the dead. And no doubt this maybe was a symbol of the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gold was a a recognition of his sovereign reign. Gold is his kingship. And myrrh being something they would, or frankincense would have been something they used in offerings in the temple as a, as an offering to the Lord. And so you understand that all of this had significance. And let me assure you that God's Christmas star can gladden your life just like it gladdened the life of these wise men. In verse number 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Listen, there's so many people today that are miserable. There's so many people today that are unhappy. So many people today that are just mad or they don't look like they're happy. Their countenance is so sad and so down. And my friend, they're looking for joy. They're looking for happiness, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Amen? True happiness is found where the wise men found it, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the gladness of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse number 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country. Notice the last phrase, another way. Now you know what? They didn't go the same way they came. And when you meet Jesus, you'll not go the same way you came. They came to where Jesus was, but they departed after they worshipped and after they presented the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, they departed a different way. Listen, can I just say this this morning, that no one can meet the Lord Jesus Christ and be the same again. My fear today is many people who claim to have met Jesus have never met Him. Why? Because they're the same. 
The Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. You're changed. Changed forever. You say, well, pastor, I, I did this years ago, but I still am the same person or I'm still battling the same things. I know our, our soul is saved, but our flesh is not. I understand it's going to be a constant battle with the flesh, but my friend, can I tell you something? If you still have the same nature and you still have them old same habits and you still have that old same things, the same friends, the same everything, something has not changed. By the way, if you don't have an appetite for God's word, there's something wrong. You've been feasting on the world too much. And there's no, there's something different. The, the Bible tells us that the wise men departed in their own country, but they departed another way. What they had seen, what they had heard, what they had experienced of the Christ child, it changed them in their future. It changed them forever. I'll never forget the day that I got saved. Listen, I used to go to bed at night miserable as a teenager. Miserable. I was thinking that the, the, the rapture would take place. I was thinking that I would be left behind. I was thinking that when I would go to bed, I would wake up and my mom and dad would not be there. That's a terrible thing to think about. But I thought that in the middle of my sleep that Jesus would come and I would be left behind. Now, let me just say this. The reason, I, the reason I thought that is because preachers used to preach on the rapture. Preachers used to preach on the rapture. They used to preach on, uh, they used to preach on eternity. They used to preach on heaven. They used to preach on hell. They used to preach on these things. But can I tell you something? Listen to me. They don't pre much preach like that anymore. And if you'll notice, conviction is not like it was. Not in the pew. We were talking to a guy this this uh, week, Dr. Al Phillips, a great man, he's over the missions here in Greenville uh, Association, he, he met with us this week just, just laying out a, a, a plan for reaching public schools and kind of partnering with some churches in the area and reaching kids for Christ. And we were just talking. He told me, he, Brother Phillips, I think, is in his 70s, and he was telling us a little bit about his conversion. He said, I lived up in the Inman area or the Lyman area, and he said there was an old preacher that came to our church named J. Harold Smith. And he preached a message the whole week from Saturday night to the next Saturday night. He preached, and one of those messages was God's three deadlines. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that message or not, but J. Harold Smith, he was a local man. He was born there in Woodruff, but he preached all over the world. Over a million souls was saved just under that one message, God's three deadlines. It was an amazing thing that he preached, but the power of God rested upon that man as far as his preaching. He was a holy man. It was an anointed man, and God used that message to preach it all over the world, really, and souls were saved. But he told me, he said, you've heard the expression, he said, of people hanging on to the back of the seat. Because they, they didn't want to move in an, in an altar, or they didn't want to move back in them old-fashioned shotgun-style churches where they go and they had the center aisle and have pews and people would hang on to the... We hear that, but, but Dr. Phillips said, listen, that was me. He said, when the invitation was given to come to Christ, he said, as a 21-year-old young man, I sat back there and I gripped the back of the seat because if I would have let go, I would have got out of my seat and went to the Lord. He said and that night, from Saturday night, he said, I didn't miss one night. From Saturday night to Saturday night, I heard J. Harold Smith preach for seven nights. He said, every night I felt the convicting power of the Spirit of God to come to the altar. He said, but I didn't. He said, I'm leaving on the last Saturday night, the last night of the revival. This is my home church. He said, I'm walking down the front steps to head to my car to leave. And the Spirit of God in him, like the Holy Spirit, as far as not in him, but, but, but certainly impressing him and, and, and convicting him, stopped him. And basically in his own heart, asked the question, if you leave here tonight, you're walking away from a home in heaven. If you leave here tonight, there's not... Listen, you're leaving a chance to be saved. He said, I literally turned around on the steps of that church. I walked back inside and they were packing up and saying their goodbyes to some people there in the foyer. He said, I walked up to my pastor and I said, Sir, I, I've been a part of this. And you, of course, that was his home church. And he said, But I've, I, I'm not saved. I need to be saved. And they showed him the gospel and he called on the Lord to save. Now he's a missionary. He's pastored churches. He's been a missionary. Hey, listen to me. When the conviction of God is dealing with you and you keep fighting it, 
And you, you say, I know that I'm lost, but I'm just going to give it another time. I'm going to give it another week. I'm, hey, that is a dangerous thing. Because when you get a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll not walk the same. You'll not talk the same. You'll not act the same. You'll be different. You'll not speak the same. Hey, there'll be something inside of you uh, called the Spirit of God that's going to challenge you and convict you and control you and guide you. You're not the same. Listen, if you're, if you're sitting in here today and you have never had old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction in your heart, then you've not sa- you're not saved. You're not saved. You need salvation. You need salvation. The greatest time, I honestly believe, the greatest time someone could come to Christ, there'd be no better time than today. But can I say around the Christmas season, what a beautiful thing for someone to just, just come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the old thing. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I want something that will change my life. And let me just guarantee something. He will change your life. He will change your life. I have a friend who's a, he, uh, he's a tour guide for uh, Israel trips. We're supposed to go back in September. I, I'm not sure that'll happen due to the conflict over there and all that uh, going on. We'll probably know here in the next month or two, but even if it does slow up, it's still, it's, it's a mess over there right now. But I've enjoyed my trips going. I've been over there several times. I love, well, matter of fact, just last year, less than a year ago, I went in January. It was a, there's always tension there that the Palestinian, the Jews, they just don't get along. They never really had, never will. But there's always been a tension there at any time that can blow over and erupt, and it did back in October, unfortunately. But while we were there uh, in January, the tour guide, my friend, he said, I want to tell you a cool story that happened just a couple years ago on my trip. He said, I I took a preacher's trip, and there was nothing but pastors and their wives that came on this trip to Israel. And he said, we were already in like the day two or three of of the trip. And he said, I took everybody to Jacob's well in Sychar. Y'all remember when Jesus, I believe it's in John chapter 4, he's headed from Samaria. And he's, he, uh, matter of fact, he's on a journey. And the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. And he goes through Samaria, and there, there he finds a woman by a well. And she asks him if he's thirsty. And so she's there, and of course she's a Samaritan, and no Jew really had any dealings with Samaritan. They wasn't really even supposed to talk to him because they're so, they're different. And yet Jesus came, and he came for that woman, remember? And she kind of told him that everything was okay, and he asked her, you know, are you married? And basically said no, and he said, that's right, because you have been married five times, and the one you're with is not your husband. I mean, he, and so she's like, whoa, how did you know all that? And so he revealed her sin and he went to where she was and she realized, man, whatever he needed, because he said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And so she wanted a drink of that water, changed her life. She goes back into town, brings people with her. And of course, she became a, a soul winner at that point and started reaching people. So he, he was telling this story about this woman at the well and this, all these pastors and their wives are lined around it and they're taking pictures and uh, some of them are recording on their phones. And, and he noticed that this one preacher's wife was just weeping, just, just crying. And so he didn't think much about it and, and, and he, she just kept crying throughout the day. Her eyes were real swollen and red and he didn't, you know... He didn't, her husband's there, so he didn't go to her and say, ma'am, could I help you, or is there anything wrong? And she just just wept. And so they got through the whole week. And, and the last thing that at least our tour guide does is he takes us to the garden tomb, which is a beautiful place, right outside of Jerusalem, right there by the walls. And it's, it's called the garden tomb, and it's a huge garden, and there's tons of flowers and plants and trees, and you walk through it, and of course there's a tomb there, and... And uh, they think that this is about the vicinity, not the actual tomb, but in the vicinity of where Jesus would have been uh, buried and rose again. And so it's a special place. He's seen this woman that had been crying basically all week with her husband. He's a pastor. And he sees her kneeling by a little table there by the tomb. And she's just kneeling, calling out to God. He's like, man, what is going on? 
And so before the tour ended, they sung some hymns. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And he walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. And so uh, they're singing these hymns and rejoicing in a risen Savior. They're about to get on the bus, about to go back to the hotel. The next morning they'll depart. And this lady stopped him. She said, I want to thank you. He said, what for? He said, I've noticed you've cried all week. She said, I've been broken since we went to Jacob's well. She said, I was raised in a preacher's home. She said, my daddy was one of the best men that God ever put in shoe leather. He was a good preacher and a pastor and a good daddy. She said, I had a good mother. I mean, a wonderful, godly mother. She said, I went to a good church from, I'm literally from the nursery all the way through my teen years to my college years. She said, I, that's all I ever knew. She said, but I never had a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, you begin to uh, talk about this woman by the well. You begin to explain how this woman who was living a life of promiscuity and, and a life that was just uh, uh, totally dependent upon her lifestyle and anti-God. And she met Jesus and Jesus showed compassion on this woman and changed her life. And she said, I'd never had a true changing moment. And she said, I wanted that change. She said, so at the garden tomb, she said, I couldn't take it anymore. She said, I, I, I knelt down right there by the tomb and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. That's a pretty cool place to get saved, amen? I will say this. I was a little jealous of that. Hey, where'd you get saved? I got saved at Jesus' tomb, amen? Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, listen to me. She was never the same. Can you say that of yourself? Have you met Jesus this morning? Can you go back to your a place, a place. Now, you don't may not know the date or the time or the... Well, that's fine. I mean, it helps if you know, just, just so sometimes some assurance. But do you have a time as far as like a place? Maybe, maybe even if you were five or six or seven years old, maybe that was a long time ago, but yet you can still remember the spot in which Jesus changed your life. Let me tell you something. If you're basing it on what somebody else is telling you, if you're basing it on something that you have done, my friend, can I tell you something right now? That is not good enough. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon Jesus Christ today and let the Spirit of God guide you. Let the Word of God guide you. And if you're lost here today, don't leave here today. In that same way. Change your life today. Let's pray.